Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora koutou, welcome to Caucus, second episode, election 2023. I'm Tim Watkin. I'm Julian Wilcox. Lisa Owen. And Guy and Espiner. Since the beginning this week, uh, drivers starting their engines as if we're really getting into proper <laughs> election time. And we're going to get into some of the drivers and engines stuff shortly. Um, Labour started to really roll out some stuff and actually say some things. Um, I think that maybe they were spooked by our conversation last week and spurred on to actually... <laughs> Absolutely. Because yeah. that's how it works. Without if you a doubt. say so, Tim. Without a doubt. The shadow caucus. That's right. Um, a lot of talk about climate policy, um, suggesting that climate change could actually be a bit of an issue in this uh, election. Check this out. This is my generation's nuclear free moment, and I am determined we will tackle it head on. Oh, oops, sorry. No, that was that was two elections ago, 2017. <laughs> oops, that was when it was supposed to be a big issue. Um, Guyon. Well, I suppose it makes you wonder how long it would have taken them if it wasn't a nuclear-free moment. Um, so here we are after six years. But um, yes. I guess, you know, the, the big announcement really was this deal with BlackRock, which is pretty fascinating, this, um, what is it, a $9 trillion US investment fund that they've partnered up with to try and get to this goal of 100% renewable electricity by 2030. So quite interesting to see uh, Labor opting to go with uh, a huge hedge fund a uh, huge investment uh, from, from private capital. Here's Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. I'm pleased to announce that the government has worked with BlackRock over the recent months to launch a first-of-its-kind $2 billion climate infrastructure fund with the goal of making New Zealand one of the first countries in the world to reach 100% renewable electricity. I am absolutely stoked that we've been able to secure this world-leading investment in New Zealand businesses and it's proof of our ambitious climate targets having the world's attention. Well, he makes uh, the differentiation there, Tim, which we will call you on. This was not a Labour Party announcement. No, exactly. This, this was a government announcement of a relationship with BlackRock. And I think what is quite interesting is the nature of that relationship. And he was talking about it like it's a partnership in some way. But the government is not putting any money into the fund. He made that very clear. Although Um, government agencies will. Like the the super fund or the like. ACC or whoever. Yeah, but it's not making any contribution. And um, there are no limits. I spoke to Megan Woods, energy minister. There are no limits, restrictions on who puts money into this investment fund, but they're saying it's not going to go into mixed ownership models of energy companies that we have, so it's not going to be buying into assets that are state-owned. It is for the private sector, not for transmission or distribution, is what Megan Wood said in terms of that policy. Um, But I still think we're a bit sketchy on 
how it's all going to work, aren't we? Yeah, I felt that way. So I was still trying to look for some of the further details and then whether or not this would actually appeal to a voter or even cross voters over for maybe the Greens or even soft centre voters. Um, and so without some of that further detail, I don't know if that's what they're going to achieve with this. And the other thing was just the choice of BlackRock, given what that company invests in. And yes, it has done, done some investment in, in, in green energy previously, but still BlackRock is a company that has a bit of a reputation, fossil fuels and the like, which other parties have jumped on board of. But the other details but that whether or not they can sway a voter towards this or not is the government says, and as you say, Lisa, they're not putting money in, but they've encouraged BlackRock, which suggests that there's a bit of a conversation that's been had about long term and all that kind of thing. But without those further details, I don't know if they're going to be able to assuage people to come over it or not. You mean like creating an environment, yeah. potentially, the government would create an environment, maybe through legislation or yeah. um, in its goal setting, oh. that creates the playground for BlackRock to bring and, its investors to. And, and which would need, which would mean the Minister of Energy would have to release some documents the next day, perhaps. The very next day, Tim. Talking about the playground, Lisa. Yeah, and in fact, Megan Woods did put out some discussion documents which are exactly about this kind of stuff. What's going to happen with future fossil fuel generation, discussing um, parameters for uh, solar energy off our coast in the exclusive economic zone, um, you know, under the headings of kind of, you know, iwi consultation and things like that. So there was, I think there was four four papers that yeah. came, um, came out the very next day, which would have passed a lot of people by, mm. but that is potentially setting up the rules of engagement or the parameters. Yeah, the kind of things that BlackRock the, can invest in. Yes, yeah. and, and and will um, show BlackRock how easy or how hard it's going to be, I suppose. And to be fair to Jacinda Ardern, who uh, we played that clip of saying it was a nuclear-free moment, she actually met with BlackRock um, yes. last She's year. She's the catalyst. And probably is uh, the seed, seed for this, because I think it was March last year that uh, she met with the company, and, and possibly that's where the idea got its genesis. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's a lot of, it's hard to know with the lack of detail where the money's going to come, this $2 billion is actually going to come from because it'll be from investors to BlackRock. So how much of that is foreign investment? How comfortable is that? I mean, Labour has, um, you know, under David Cunliffe and other, have been very concerned about different types of foreign investment, obviously very keen on it now. Tensions with the Green, though, about Greens about foreign investment. Um, and, and as you say, Julian, where that money comes from and where the reputation of, of BlackRock in, in, in that place. Yeah, well, there's a congressional investigation underway in the moment regarding BlackRock and some of its investment in Chinese companies that are allegedly on a black list because of their human rights records and um, their links to uh, military equipment. So that that um, committee is seeking more information from BlackRock. Yeah, I mean, you don't have a $9 trillion US fund without um, upsetting some people. I like no. this quote from Larry Fink. He says, we focus on sustainability not because we're environmentalists, but because we're capitalists. Yeah. But I think that's interesting and not, not only sinister. I mean, I, when, no. you, when you follow the climate change debate over the years, y you get to that point, and, and it's a lot like in a lot of spheres of life, when the money moves towards something, you know things are really changing. You've seen it with Te Reo Māori. Mm. You see, you know, when the corporates start saying, you know, do the mahi, get the treats, and the corporates start moving in that direction, you get some real momentum behind things. And you've seen this um, similar thing w with, with climate change. I mean, if, if they're pre prepared to put this sort of money in, yeah. then that, that other money follows. And then you start saying, well, should I invest in, in a petrol car, or should I invest in a huge 
infrastructure yeah. that is uh, based on fossil fuels if the momentum and the money and is going in that direction? Well, what, what the other thing I was going to say, though, was that ones who will be really interested in the further detail will be ones like Iwi, and in particular those big group holdings companies who have been on this track for a long time, have wanted international capital to come into Aotearoa so that they can back it or even co-fund or even co-invest at the same time. So they'll be waiting for those details. And they'll be sitting there going, OK, so show me more because we want to get involved. Well, we kind of need to. I mean, interesting, in the rest of that, that stand-up, Hipkins was talking about, you know, didn't hold back on his language. It's a watershed moment. This is a game changer. And it's $2 billion, which sounds like a lot of money, but the, we're supposed to need about $40 billion to be able, of investment to be able to get to this 100% the, renewable target. These so this are, is just the beginning. And these things are long, long term. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in terms yeah. of wind, Julian talking about uh, wind, wind power you know, off Taranaki, a uh, lot of wind and shallow water, apparently, which is, uh, you know, obviously an advantage. Yeah. But this is a 10, this is 10 year infrastructure to set up. So these are long term. Yeah. Well, tickety tockety, because the, the deadline, <laughs> the deadline to meet it, I mean, they're running out of runway uh. to, to meet their goals on renewable electricity. But to the point that you made about BlackRock is driven by profits, it's not, it's not there to sing kumbaya, it wants return for its investors. When you get to the pointy end of um, renewables, you know, we've got, what, 83 84% renewable electricity at the moment. It's harder to make a profit at the higher up you go. Yeah. In and a lot of scientists say the hundred percent's actually who, who cares as long as you get into the nineties, it doesn't really matter, right? That at that point, this is the other point about it is that what BlackRock trades in, and I guess the government a few weeks out from an election is PR, right? There's so much PR in this. That's that's the gain, I think, yeah, the win-win true. for most part, both parties. Anybody can BlackRock can come and invest two billion dollars in New Zealand anytime it wants. They don't need to have a special fund to do it. Um, but this creates the no, sense why aren't of we, excitement. We, why, why aren't we using a New Zealand-based fund then? Because the comments that because were made... New Zealand-based funds have also have had many years to be able to do it if they wanted to, but they haven't yet. Correct. Then one so wonders why there Diane's is such... about getting the ball rolling. Yeah. One wonders why there is such confidence around domestic investors, which was raised at the... Um, at the media stand-up yeah. with this announcement and subsequently reiterated by the energy yeah. minister. Will they actually get into it? Th- they're saying that there's, oh, there's, 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 there's actually quite a bit of money sloshing around in New Zealand. Well, why haven't yeah. they yeah. got but, on board but, before? But Hipkins in that clip was a really interesting. I played out the last bit of it because he said about how this will get the world's attention. And I think that's a big part of it. The nuclear-free moment that Ardern traded on, this is Labour trying to get people feeling proud of themselves, go New Zealand, the little mouse that roared thing, right? That we can do big deals with Yeah, you've got big an investment players. rock star yeah. to come to your backyard exactly, and yeah. play a game. This is, this is like John Keon Letterman uh, or whatever else. It's one uh, of those moments yeah. where you try to... I thought Luxon's response actually was interesting, right? He didn't go for the 2030 timeline or he didn't say the money. He went, hmm, yeah, we've been talking about this for years. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's pre- he's pretty much backing it, um, and and that's interesting in the bigger picture when when we talk about climate change policy because certainly the first election where you know climate change policy is a mainstream big ticket item on the table, and I guess you look yeah, at the events, leading with it, yeah, right? you so, look at the yeah. events of of this year in Auckland and Cyclone Gabriel, um, and and half the world uh, boiling and you know ice sheets the size of um, Argentina sort of not freezing over in, in Antarctica, and it is something that now people. People are discussing as a mainstream issue. Okay, I might be ten or twenty years too late, but it, it is interesting that, that that it seems to me uh, a mainstream issue in the election. Would you, would you yeah, they, they needed to do something, and and this is big. Um, but the other thing is, it takes away a little bit from you know people walking out of meetings with Penny Henry. 
you know, onto on, on Tairawhiti <laughs> and things like that. So it gets a national conversation going, which is what they needed to do because that's exactly what we were talking about last week. Yeah, It's interesting that you raise Christopher Luxon and his response to the fund. Um, juxtaposition, uh, Chris Hipkins, and when he was said, oh, well, this is kind of like what National was suggesting we do with roads, get international investment. And he said, no, it's not because roads are publicly owned assets largely. So this is a different kettle of fish. So even though they're going with the big kahuna of um, investment, Mm. he is making the distinction about what he will welcome investment in. He's also making a distinction between who he might welcome in in that investment. Um, And uh, Chris Luxon made an interesting comment on TVNZ on that front. Would you take money from China under its Belt and Road Initiative? Yeah, absolutely. You know, New Zealand's the country, same size of Great Britain and Japan. Uh, we have five million people in it. A strong and resilient roading network will be absolutely critical to our future. And whether you're on an EV or whether you're on a hydrogen truck, uh, you're going to need very good uh, and resilient roads. Absolutely, China. Why wouldn't you? Well, so because take, take doesn't want it. <laughs> the and CCP you need or act. the CCP or BlackRock. Yeah. Well, this is it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's the foreign affairs lens on this, which is, um, you know, Labour very much saying, "Look who we can do deals with. Who isn't China? Mm. Right? National China, us not China. Is that fair?" Uh, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, uh, yes it is and no it isn't. Yes it is because uh, it is a big deal and it is a, a, a huge amount of money and long-term infrastructure investment. You could argue the same for the roads thing with China. I think the, the difference is coming back to the public infrastructure thing that um, that Lisa was talking about. That's absolutely true. And I think the other thing is that I don't actually know if he actually planned to respond in the way that he did with that comment. Coming out going, absolutely, was the response. I mean, I don't know if anyone's on X anymore. I'm not. But I did get a bit of a heads up from a lot of people saying, did you you see this? Absolutely. <laughs> Bought and sold. He was in it. And that's the reaction that a lot of people got mm. when they heard him say that. Well, and, the- and obviously ACT and David Seymour has responded to that and said, love, love um, China and the people of China. But no. no. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, there will be interesting. And, and this is in the context, too, of the defence reports that were released th- this week, which also was very much Labour saying, you know... Um, not so much love for China. So uh, the, there could be an interesting little backstory playing through this campaign um, with the, the foreign affairs lens. Um, but for all the climate stuff we talked about, Guyan, there is the big on the other hand, because at the same time, um, we've got uh, Labour other big announcement, which was um, three lane roads and tunnels and lots of big... <laughs> buzzing big... in again, buzzing Sorry, in again. government announcement. It was a government <laughs> announcement. Government announcement. <sighs> The Labour government announcement. Damn that missing word. Um, uh, about about lots of roads, and so at the same time we're saying, here we go. Climate um, is now a, a policy. We've got the Greens going that National and Labour are releasing bonkers roading policy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the the point the other side makes on this, and I know National made this point on its transport policy. If if they are EVs, they still need to drive on roads. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, unless anyone has got a sort of flying vehicle idea, um, you do. Well, you're going to have to. Well, they do. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, and pigs might fly as well, but um, as well as cars. But you know, even if we do move to this um, idea where we get 
what a third of our vehicles um, or of our light fleet at least being EVs. It's up for, I mean, it's one or two percent at the moment. It's still got to drive on roads, right? So Yeah, unless you, well, and I'm just saying, the Greens are saying they support the tunnels for public transport, right, the rail tunnels, um, you force people's hand. You say, here's the tunnel. It's got a lovely train in it. You can get on that or you can spend your life in a queue of traffic. Yeah, well, doesn't the la- the Labor plan has a light rail uh, tunnel as well, though, doesn't it? Yes, it has. It has um, two from memory, two light yep. rail tunnels, yep. and then two uh, three lane roads. Uh, yeah, two two three lane roads. Yep. So the the question is whether thirty five need... to forty five billion dollars. Yeah, forty five billion was I think. Do we get BlackRock to pay for that too? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more than two billion. That's my point, right? Is that we talk about two billion is a lot, but you know there we're, are billions of dollars of infrastructure. Where there. I thought this came from was a finely tuned political decision that was made. They needed an Auckland policy, and they needed to be seen to be responding to the national policy on roads. Right. So and, gee, and, and gee, they did it in but, one but decision. Gosh, we're slow on this stuff. I mean, did, did yeah. you ever see the start date on this thing? Do you know yes. what the start date is twenty twenty nine. Yeah, twenty twenty nine is the start date. And, I mean, this goes partly, there's um, been some shambles around the transport minister because it was Michael Ward's portfolio and he had those options for it and we've, mm. we've hung around waiting for that. But we just seem to take so long to make well, these decisions in New Zealand and then we don't have any of the infrastructure so, spending because we haven't put it in. Uh, You've got three parties, right, in Labour, National uh, and the Greens who agree with parts of this plan, parts of... Various plans the related to the bit. bridge, yep. rela- relating to the crossing. You know, I can't remember how many years ago Tim made me read a book about intergenerational <laughs> infrastructure, <laughs> right? It's cruel and okay. unusual punishment. Oh, come on. No, but let's go back Showing there. you a good time. Because this is basically what we're talking about, aren't we? Intergenerational infrastructure. Yeah. So if you have three parties who agree on little bits of it, but not all on it, why can't we just have a, a cross-party yeah. accord and on a the, massive infrastructure And throw in the councils as well. You, you, yes, and, because, because you have to you have Did to have you it, hear it, Wayne uh, Brown the day yeah, after the announcement? It. So where does it leave you? Um, with the political bickering over it, then you throw a council over the top of no, it. Absolutely. I mean, uh, this comes back to the timing thing that we talked about last week. They spent too long on this. They had this. They had the stuff ready to go three years ago, and they dillied and dallied when they when they had the mandate to be able to go, and they didn't do it. And that's why they've been caught. Now they've made the decision. They announced it at this time. And yes, it's not a, a party policy; it's a government policy. But they had to be seen to be doing something for Auckland. Now well, I've got aunties and uncles in Waimea and Totoro who are going. But what about the potholes on my Northland Road? Right. Yeah. And that's a lot of money for Auckland people, but what about us up north with the road and also our you know main highway that can't go through Mangamuka? Yep. So it appeals to an Auckland audience, and that's probably the only thing that will come to mind when they go into the vote, is they go, <laughs> oh, what's in it for Auckland? Oh, okay, that. Well, look, can I just, on that point, let's just play a clip, because it was very interesting when Hipkins did make this announcement about the harbour crossing, the points you're making, Julian. Good morning, everybody. It's fantastic to be here on a stunning Auckland day. Our government is very ambitious for Auckland. Yes, it, it is going to, I think, provide reassurance to Aucklanders that the current government um, takes their concerns around congestion and around the need for greater transport options very seriously. Auckland, Auckland, Auckland. And government, government, government. Yeah. The current government, sure. the government. We, we, but, but, you know, to, to, to make the point that while these are government announcements, these are coming just for an election, um, for a reason, where do you win elections? Yeah, it's true. Well, he, he probably saw the Guardian poll as well, which had you, what twenty three percent or whatever. They're not going to Labor. Labor is not going to win the regional seats they did last yeah. time, right? They swept through the regions and wiped out national in a way we've never seen before. That is going back away from them at this election. So where can they win votes? Auckland. And so you see, um, 
uh, the first few big announcements is, uh, yes, government announcements. Yeah. As Labour gets serious about the election, he's in, Hipkins is in Auckland. Um, the other one about the Hauraki Gulf. Auckland, he's back in Auckland again a couple of days later. Yeah. Auckland, Auckland, Auckland. I don't think anyone's under any illusions about what it actually is. His comment is that we're in government and we're going to govern till the right up until the election. Yeah. Yeah. But they're governing in a particular way in the lead up to the election. Yeah. Um, Guy, and you were making the point the other day that first speech for Hipkins was in Auckland too, right? This is Yeah, I think it was uh, from memory. He spoke to the Auckland Chamber of Commerce, didn't he? I think it was his, um, his, his, yeah. his first speech. And, and you know, he's the self-styled boy from the hut. Um, Grant Robertson, the finance minister, is very Wellington-focused as, as, as well. I, I know, Tim, you, you were saying that um, some of the beehive insiders were saying that you had, they had to sort of force him to get up to Auckland as, as, much, as, as much as they could. But, yeah. but you're right. I mean, that's all. I mean, MMP as a proportional system means it's a, it's a numbers game. And, and yeah, if, if you if you don't win um, and don't do well in Auckland, you, you haven't got a haven't got a hope of, of, of forming a government. He, he he knows that. The last bit on these policies, the the last little window we we're going to look at this policy through was the, just the purely politics one. New Zealand First, Winston Peters tweeting um, about BlackRock, calling it the act of a desperate government, but not just a desperate government, a desperate globalist shill government, <laughs> um, which was really interesting. I I because a globalist shill just leapt out right, and you actually. Yeah, I mean, it's conspiratorial sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, globalist shill um, government is people who lie to you to get you into a one-world government stuff. So it's right into that whole conspiracy theory stuff. He's he's openly using the language guy of, on raised of the disaffected, right? Yeah. About where he was shopping for votes. Yeah. Well, if you, if you were wondering, there's some evidence. Yeah. On yeah. brand and on message. That's where they're going this year. <laughs> on X, was he? <laughs> on X. He was on X. The platform formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Is that what we have to call it? Now? He's still there. He's still there. Um, the other thing is, and then the other party, and watching all of this, we've talked about the Greens briefly. But this is interesting for the BlackRock because on one hand they go, oh, green investment and turbines and, and good things. On the other hand, mm, foreign investment and uh, big multinationals. Fossil We're, and uh, fossil fuel investor, yeah. enormous fossil fuel so investor. So James Shaw came out and said, it's a good thing. Mm. He kind of did it quietly because this is the kind of thing that tears like greens and, apart, and right? And that's his background, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think he was PwC, was he? He was certainly in the, in the corporate world. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of them out there who are, you know, green capitalists, if you like. Yeah. Um, so that probably fits his... Um, his worldview, but certainly not uh, others in the Green Party. <laughs> no, the value, the values party base is, does not like this kind of stuff, right? So no, it's a tricky one for them. I think they were happier talking about teeth and trucks. Absolutely. Exactly. Let's get our Absolutely. teeth into teeth. Uh, <laughs> dental uh, policy was a big one with the Greens. Well, somebody else talk about it. Do you know how much this policy will cost? One point two billion in the first year, and around one point seven billion in the second year. We, we may have slightly overestimated that to be safe, mm. but listen, we absolutely can and must afford it, and we will pay for it using as part of our wealth tax, which will only impact on zero point seven percent of New Zealand's population. Yeah, so free dental policy, and I think you know there was lots of people whose ears pricked up over that because dental is hugely expensive. And strangely enough, and we've had conversations about this, I don't know, it's part of your body and health, isn't it? But we seem to have this sort of weird um, detachment from it. It's kind of you, you don't get state-funded care for your teeth unless you're under the age of 18 or you go to, um, you know, work an income and get an emergency dental grant. So, dear listeners, this is this week's history lesson. OK. <laughs> Here we go. I'll keep it brief. Get comfortable. 1938, Social Security Act. 
uh, which is the the law that brought in free medical treatment, the welfare state for New Zealand, and free medical care. Dental care was supposed to be part of that. It was planned by Peter Fraser and Mickey Savage to be part of it. But the dentists, as an independent um, organisation from the doctors, were just getting going. They were just um, establishing themselves as a profession and they did not want to be socialised. They wanted to do their own thing and they said no. Um, There was pressure, (laughs) this sounds familiar, around the budget and how much the government could afford in terms of this big new welfare package. So they sacrificed um, dentistry and it has never, ever changed. But it was meant to be part of that initial initial project. Yeah, I mean, the, the Green policy speaks to that cradle-to-the-grave approach of Michael Joseph Savage back in his time. Um, um, you know, the Greens, this is, this is great Greens policy, right? <laughs> um, you know, it, it comes off the back of the wealth tax, which they were very quick to mention at the same time. <laughs> um, it speaks to rural and local. Um, and the other thing was it responds to a direct challenge that Jacinda Ardern actually got. I think it was in 2018 at Waitangi from a guy called Isaiah Apiata, who said to who said to her, "You need to do something about dental. This is what's happening in our locale, uh, and also on behalf of Māori." So, so, so the Greens picking up on this is not a surprise to me. Mm. It speaks to their base. It may also appeal to actually a whole bunch of other voters who are thinking at the moment, "Hmm, where can I go?" Particularly if you're in the centre, looking kind of leftish. Should I go with Labour or should I look at Winnie or whatever the heck it is? Is, this is a policy that will speak to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a massive gap in our health system, isn't it? As Lisa says, what, why would you cut out the mouth um, as as a for an entirely separate um, funding structure? And and thank you, Tim, for the for the history lesson. You're but most welcome. It still doesn't. Um, it, it still doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Obviously, just because we've done it for a long time. Um, and and I think Labor's dropped the ball on this because. You know, they've had six years. This has been such an obvious gap. There's been a lot of speculation about um, whether they might pick up on it. And um, good on the Greens for actually saying this is how much it costs and this is how we would fund it. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, whether whether you like the policy or not, whether you think that 0.7% of New Zealanders should pay a 2.5% tax on net assets above $2 million, I think uh, the policy is, well, you know, that's a, that's a decision for voters. But at least, at least they're saying this is what we do and this is how we pay for it. When you discuss cost also, in the same way you do with other health conditions, you, you need to consider cost-benefit ratios, mm. Right. So um, I was in a conversation earlier this week with a doctor who works in the ED at Whangarei Hospital. And he says there's a steady stream of people who come into his ED every day, every day. And they have erosion of their facial bones due to abscesses in their mouths. Um, they need to be put under general anaesthetic sometimes. And he estimated to, to do that would be about $4,000 for teeth extractions. And it was interesting, following the interview, I got a lot of text messages from um, to Checkpoint from people in the medical profession saying poor dental is related to exacerbation of cardiac conditions. And there are all these other conditions of the rest of the body that we do fund that are made worse or, um, you know, springboard off poor dental. Mm-hmm. So so there's a cost, there's a cost beyond the dental, there's a cost to not doing it and just in the Nerds Unite kind of thing um, the (laughs) Have you got a history lesson too? No, the tooth be told the tooth be told, (laughs) not my pun it's a 28 page report it was put put out last year just over a, a, a year ago it's it's worth a read, Association of Salaried Medical Specialists, and come away from reading that 
and see whether you've got the same view. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, yeah. we'd go overseas and tell people we had a free health system in New yeah. Zealand, um, yet we carve out GPs as businesses and we carve out the mouth um, and you pay for it yourself. Yeah. And as you, I'm saying, uh, in Māori communities, often you rock up to a marae and there are so many people without teeth. Yeah. And then you get ostracised. People, um, it, it freaks people out. And you, all the flow-on effects from no, that. Not just marae, rugby clubs. Um, the other thing I was... The, my only concern about this is given the lack of access to good health care in rural locations, Locations at the moment, this is a GP issue, generally speaking. Yeah. And in the north, and I'll mention the places again just because my aunties will give me a clap, but in places like Waimaa and Total, my only concern is are we going to be able to get the specialists to be able to provide the care given the shortage of experts and specialists we have in rural communities yep. at the moment? You would need to. They, they did talk about that. They they said that there would be some immigration push mm. to get people through, but mostly they reckon that they uh, Manama Davis's line was that there is capacity um, within the. You can you can, can take you six weeks to get to a doctor, but you can get to a dentist in a couple of days. We do have, um, and, they, and they would raise the cap have, on the number is, of training. Which is Julian's yeah. point because I, when I was looking at this, I noticed some stories, and I think it's still the case that Dargaville does not have a, a dentist for to see adults. You know, if you're not in the under eighteen, which um, is free know, category, not and a at one point, town. no, and at one point, Wairau didn't have a dentist as well, and if any of you out there don't have a dentist, get in touch with Checkpoint because we're interested. Hmm. Um, because it's it's a it's it an issue. Stories, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, stories. Why not? Fair enough. <laughs> you know, great. and on, on the note about um, you know the cost and access to uh, other healthcare, and I know Jacinda Ardern when she was prime minister and asked about it in in the last mm-hmm. election cycle, she said that when they came into the office office deficit they were facing in health was so huge mm-hmm. it would have been her words irresponsible to launch ourselves down a path of funding an enormously expensive initiative when our health system itself was creaking at the seams. That's what she said. Yeah, so so it was the ideal time to restructure the health system. <laughs> I mean, this is this and, is the and thing. I mean, you want to restructure the health system? Why don't you put dentistry and, and GPs in there? Well, I mean, the, the point the point remains because the the pandemic was the next excuse. When asked a couple of years later, it was like, oh, now we're in a pandemic. But Labour's because Labour's got history on this, right? Annette King, former dental nurse, yes, yes, um, was very big on on this, and the Clark government was the one that extended it to eighteen year olds. Well, the um, Labour Party itself was apparently very big on it in twenty eighteen at their conference. Indeed, they they passed a motion. A remit, you might call it, um, mm. saying that they supported f- universal dental care for adults. Um, and yet there always seems to be this line about, well, we just can't afford it. Um, which does get to the, the next clip we want to play, which is um, this tension between the Greens and, and Labour about the money. And no, there is not an infinite supply of money. And so we're going to have to be realistic. This, in my view, should not be a big spending election campaign um, because the current economic circumstances don't support that. Not a big spending election campaign. This was on Morning Report. Uh, the Prime Minister was on with Corinne who pressed him on Labour's commitment to getting back into surplus by 2526. So yes. you, you can't commit this morning to hitting your, your, your surplus target? Well, I mean, I think everybody can see that the government's revenue is going down and that that's going to have a flow-on effect. But I can say that the government remains absolutely committed to managing the finances in a responsible and in a balanced way and getting back into surplus is a key priority for the government. It's interesting that the surplus is a key priority. Walking between the raindrops there a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I know that Damien O'Connor came out over the week and said that we probably didn't have enough tax as well. So everyone's to afford fe- what we needed in the climate yeah. change round. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 so, so I guess it's it's obvious, isn't it, that in these uh, constrained times, that you know, uh, big big spending 
policies might not necessarily be welcome, which was why I was quite interested in, in Nationals, um, you know, ban cell phones in school policy. Because it's quite, I mean, it might sound a bit of a segue, but it's one of those ones where you get a <laughs> lot of that. attention. Just a little bit. We yeah. can go with that. You, get, uh, you, you hear me out on this. Uh, there's, and there's no history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's um, the point yeah. then? <laughs> You know, these policies which you attract a lot of attention and a lot of debate and it don't cost you any money. Um, and, no, and so, so I, I thought it was quite, quite interesting, and I thought quite clever politics. As, as, as aside from from the from the policy, which I think a lot of parents will will, will agree with, um, to, to to see them come out and say, "Oh, we, we would um, make sure that schools ban cell phones." I thought it was a, a, a good piece of politics if you if you're trying to capture attention without a big price tag. Yeah, it's the big talking point story mm, of absolutely. the week, and interestingly enough, more people enough, will be engaging with that than than BlackRock. Absolutely. But the thing about it is the policy in and of itself already exists. If boards of trustees wish to ban, support their school in banning cell phones, and many schools have done it, then, you know, you're away and laughing. I, but I, if, I guess the argument he's making is that it takes it out of schools' hands. Yeah. It, do, it, it, it means that you don't have to compete and fight an argument with some parents who might want the, um, the, the kids to have access to phones at school, and, and it just takes it out of their hands. Totally. That, that's his argument. Totally. Anyway. And just a small thing, though, if you're kind of focusing on the getting back to basics with your education policy and making sure that kids know the basics around literacy and all the rest of it. How do we spell cat? <laughs> C-A-T. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. There are two things for me so about this. So spelling lessons and history lessons. <laughs> there are two things for me on this. One was when my initial response to this was, oh, my gosh, this is um, Labour circa 2007 with shower heads and light bulbs. This is where National is going. And then I had to think about it again. One way to get over the agreement between um, secondary school teachers, pay disputes and stuff, which was the agreement they reached this week, one way to get over it is to talk about this kind of stuff. What I, what the, the part that kind of... Um, appealed to me was the way in which uh, Luxon, when he went on the morning shows the day after, basically poo-pooed the principals and said, well, they don't really know what they talk about. They don't really know what's good for the schools. You know, the principals came out and said, actually, wow. th- this puts a lot of pressure on us. Yeah. And schools, no, 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 you'll be right. Don't worry about it kind of thing. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But it shows, again, um, the way in which I think you're right, good political play but the way in which they start to communicate and engage with the public after they do these things is a little bit haphazard. The one that's really good at delivering, from what I can see anyway, is actually Nicola Willis. And Luxon always seems to do something which creates a bit of a tension <laughs> when he talks about these issues, whether it's like because he's not ready or whether he's not prepared, or whether he just has a general issue. Um, I think we may see a little bit more of when these things come up. It's Willis that fronts it and not him. Yeah, well, she's a lot more methodical, isn't yeah. she? A lot more clinical than, than, than Luxon. Well, it's interesting. We were talking about the dental policy before, and um, she had a very clean response to, um, to the Greens' dental plans. Oh, look, I have sympathy uh, for the... Many New Zealanders I've spoken to have struggled to pay their dental fees and they're just another part of the cost of living that's gone up, up, up. But there is no magic money tree at the end of the garden and unless uh, we take the Greens approach of putting a wrecking ball through the economy, throwing taxes over the top of everything, we can't afford a massive new universal entitlement to free dental care. Does the magic money tree grow GST-free fruit and veg? That's what I want to know. 
Wow, tax I, policy is coming, and actual policy it is, from the Labour it is. Party we'll be, is coming. We'll be able to get into that next week. And, but and, I thought that was interesting, your point about the way Nicola was presents. I have sympathy. There was a you know nice kind of empathy bit there, but very clear economic rigour, wrecking ball through the economy, can, key message points. You can tell what her response to the phone thing would have been. You know, my kids, schools, this is what the teachers told me, this is what the principals have told me, not have a go at the principal who was just on the show before you. Yeah. So are you saying she's got good EQ, and in the same way I lobbed a grenade into the foxhole last week when I mentioned David Seymour, are you, are you trying to say something about her <laughs> and the leadership of the National Prime Ministerial Aspiration? as bold as you, uh, Lisa, about throwing grenades into foxholes. Uh, no, look, he, he's there, but he has an impact on polling. Uh, you know, he's, he still doesn't uh, poll well as a leader. Um, and I know we talked about this last week, about this isn't a presidential-style election race. I think Labour thinks it is. They're going to try and make it one. Yeah. Hey, look, I couldn't, I couldn't resist um, this. So just to, to to go back to that point, you'd mentioned showerheads in the context of this new policy. I've got a um, press release here from the National Party, actually, um, which says that schools will um, no longer be required to be uh, the police. They say, quote, I believe boards of trustees should be able to make their own decisions. After all, they are parents who should be aware of what is bad and good. I'm confident they will act responsibly. Hekia Parata? <laughs> And Tolly, oh. 2009, <laughs> soft drinks in schools. National pulled soft drinks out of schools and said, because we trust the parents in the Excuse schools to make their the own decisions. Crinkling. I'm just snatching things I'm, from Tim. This is, I, I'm, and, I, and doubled the dental bill. That's right, exactly. <laughs> See, this is bringing all the policies together today. I just thought that was interesting. You look for joint, joint I mean, no, this, is, this, is, this is a cheap shot, just like the Jacinda Ardern one was earlier. So we've been, we've been nasty to everybody. But... Um, you know, you look for joined up thinking. And you're right, National Party thinking should be presumably, you know, government should get out of this stuff, right? Not in any state. Yeah. They used to argue that, you know, the schools should not be policing the children and that the schools can make their own decisions and trust the parents. And now we're going to get banned, banned cell phones? Seems an interesting policy switch. Um, Time to ring the bell? Just about. We're going to end with um, one little thought. Um, that if you're going out to the supermarket this weekend... <laughs> oh, no, I'm cringing already. Keep an eye out for Sam Affindel. You walk into a New Zealand supermarket and you get a bit of a shock, which is what I, I try and do at least once a month. I get out there and take the, the, uh, the shopping list off my wife and go out there and fill up the trolley. Not only is it an excellent way to get a bit of publicity with a National Party jacket on my back looking like the everyday man, it gives my wife a break and... Um, I get to understand what the what the current prices are. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're so excited. I don't I, I don't get nearly as excited about my um my sh- my shopping trips, which I can I can tell you happen far more frequently than once. I know a he month. must be going hungry. Oh no, that's right. He's relying on the wife. He's taking, <laughs> he's taking the shopping list off off his wife. Yeah. Partly, <laughs> partly, not uh, partly, so we can get some extra publicity. To say, rack up some not, just, not just for the wife, but and be like the everyman. Because uh, he, he wants to look like the everyman. Yeah, bless. Yeah. I, I, I did um, have an occasion when I heard that to text my good mate Tom Portico and say, "Anything you want to say about this?" And no response. Just three dots for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to consider. No, no, no response. That is caucus for this week with Julian Wilcox. Lisa Owen. Guy and Espinel. And me, Tim Watkin. We will be back next week. And yes, we will be talking about uh, Labour's tax policy, which, which we expect by this time next week. Um, and uh, in the meantime, um, happy politics, everybody. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.